I love adaptogens. I love them. I take them every day. I used to be that way with coffee. Let's be honest. I would need it every morning, but now I love the feeling that I get from adaptogens, and it's a much more healthful <laughs> daily habit. That's what we all want, more, right? More, more healthful daily habits. That actually supports my body's physiology. Adaptogens are herbs and functional mushrooms that help your body adapt to stress. They essentially boost your resistance and tolerance when it comes to emotional and physical stress. They are good for stress support, adrenal dysfunction, hormone imbalances, anxiety, fatigue, you name it, adaptogens can help. The more I research adaptogens, the more I realize the easiest and best way to enjoy adaptogens is with superfood blends that can be added to water. Now I drink Organifi Red Juice three to four times a week, mostly mid-morning, and it's incredible for energy support and focus. It's a red berry antioxidant blend that has cordyceps, rhodiola, and reishi. They also have a green juice, which has ashwagandha in it. It's great for stress and recovery, especially if you're working out on a regular basis. And my favorite is Organifi Gold. It's my favorite nightcap. It's a sweet little warm drink. You can take at night. It's got reishi. If you've got anxiety or your mind is spinning at night, drink that as your nightcap. It is so good and it's calming. All of Organifi's superfood adaptogen blends are 100% certified organic and contain high quality ingredients. And they're also free of fillers and they taste really good and have clinical doses of adaptogens. You can support your body, energy, immunity, and stress with Organifi. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. Go to Organifi.com forward slash wellfed and use the code wellfed for 20% off. That's Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash wellfed and use the code wellfed for 20% off your entire order. You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome, friends, to the Well-Fed Women podcast. This is episode 397. I am your host, Noelle Tarr of coconutsandkettlebells.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer. Today, I'm going to be discussing everything you need to know about tracking your cycles. This is going to be a deep dive into the fertility awareness method, otherwise known as FAM, but it's also bigger than that because tracking your cycles isn't just for birth control, or fertility anymore. Your cycle is your fifth vital sign, and it provides profound information about your body and your physiology and your overall health. Tracking your cycles allows you to sync your life, food, and workouts to your cycle so that you're not constantly fighting your body every single month, and it can also help promote healthy hormone balance. So I'm really excited to speak with my guest expert today, Nina Boyce, who has her own program, podcast, and website dedicated to helping women track their cycles. We're going to take on this topic from a little bit more of a modern perspective. So using some of the tools and apps and 
what are the best ones and what all that means and why sometimes we rely on apps too much and how we can really rely on the signs a little bit more. So I'm really excited to do some troubleshooting to talk about that data and then what it actually all means. So Nina Boyce is a certified fertility awareness educator and health coach who teaches women to prevent pregnancy hormone-free and with 99% accuracy. Her online coaching program, Luna, focuses on helping clients transition off birth control, support their natural hormones, and prevent pregnancy with the fertility awareness method. Nina takes a holistic approach, focusing on nutrition, cycle charting, and lifestyle modifications to help her clients achieve their desired goals. She is also the host of the Healing Hormones podcast, where she interviews leading women in the world of menstrual health. Welcome, Nina. This topic can be quite confusing and overwhelming for people, so I'm so excited to talk about how to track your cycles with you. Thank you. It's my favorite topic to talk about, and I'm excited to chat with you and answer all the fertility awareness questions. Good, because we got a lot of them. This was like one <laughs> ready. Of those yeah, this is one of those things I was like, oh my gosh, we have so many questions because I, I did put out a little poll on Instagram, like, hey, what questions do you have? And I was overwhelmed. So like last night, I was even kind of making sure I didn't miss anything because there was there was a lot. So we'll get to all of those community kind of troubleshooting questions at the end. But first, before we do, what is the fertility, fertility awareness method or FAM, which is kind of what I think has now become synonymous with like tracking or charting your cycles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also natural family planning. They're the, like natural family planning and fertility awareness method are the same thing. They kind of get interchanged. Um, but it is different than just simply tracking your cycle or charting your menstrual cycle. So with fertility awareness method, it is an actual method and it comes with protocols to identify the days that you are fertile and the days that you are not fertile in your cycle. So you're actually using your body's specific daily biomarkers to determine that as opposed to tracking your cycle with an app or on a calendar and you're kind of just going by the days of the month and historically what your cycle has looked like, you're actually using your own daily biomarkers to determine your fertility. Interesting. Okay. So talk me through, actually, I want to kind of know, because I know a lot of people will be wondering this, what are the benefits for tracking your cycles, whether you're trying to use it to get pregnant? I think this is a misconception is a lot of people think, oh, that's for only if you want to get pregnant as opposed to preventing pregnancy, but you can absolutely use it to prevent a pregnancy. And I did for like seven years. Um, What are some of the benefits of doing FAM in comparison to maybe the pill or other birth control methods? Yeah. So, I mean, just to give a quick overview, like the IUD is 99% effective, right? The pill, when taken correctly, it's 98 to 99% effective. And so is fertility awareness method. When done perfectly, it's 99% effective. The only difference is when you obviously are taking the pill or you have the IUD, you're really putting your fertility in the trust of that pharmaceutical. Whereas with fertility awareness method, you are taking ownership of understanding if it's a fertile day or if it's not. And of course, when you're taking hormonal birth control or even the copper IUD, because people do have symptoms like heavy bleeding and cramping with the copper IUD, um, you may have unwanted side effects that you're dealing with because you're suppressing your natural hormones. Maybe you aren't reacting well to the synthetic hormones or the IUD is causing you discomfort. So you have to kind of weigh the pros and cons of an out-of-sight, out-of-mind method or just simply like taking a pill every day. 
or having something that's just as effective and actually taking ownership of your fertility and understanding how your body works, which is truly something we should have learned a long time ago. And I think it's a lot easier than people maybe assume that they think it might be difficult, but it actually is is quite easy once you learn the hang of it and you understand how your body works. Mm-hmm. I found it really interesting just the information that I started gathering once I started tracking my cycles, like it does give you a lot of really interesting information about your health because one of my favorite interviews was with Lisa Hendrickson Jack, and I'll link to that in the show notes. And she is the author of The Fifth Vital Sign. And it was like such a light bulb for me to hear her in her book talk about it at in that way, because for women, like our fertility is tells us so much about our hormonal function and Mm -hmm. what's going on there. And, you know, our stress, how our adrenals are feeling, what's our thyroid doing, like all those things. If there is something wrong, not wrong, but if there's something alarming we should be aware of, a lot of the times it comes out in our cycle. Oh, I realized that I was like, oh my gosh, this is like almost like a something we can use as a warning sign for hmm, something's not right. And I can tell it a little ahead in advance of other symptoms because of what my period's telling me. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we'll get into it. But for example, like some of the biomarkers like cervical mucus is driven by estrogen. So if you're having weird observations with your cervical mucus, it's like "Mm, something might be going on with estrogen levels. And then you can kind of cross reference. Oh, my goodness. I'm also struggling with like all of these other estrogen symptoms. Maybe I should look into this or tracking your basal body temperature. If it's really low, we can think, oh, maybe I should get my thyroid checked. Like maybe something's going on there. Maybe I have low progesterone. My luteal phase temps are really low. And it's all all of these signs. Plus, when you're tracking your period, you're actually noting, I've had a really heavy, painful cycle this month. And it's I've had that for three or four cycles. Maybe something's going on there. You get really aware of what's going on inside. Oh, I love that. Yeah, we're going to dive into that. Okay, so talk <laughs> me through... I'm like, wait, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Okay, talk me through what are, what are your track? You've mentioned cervical mucus, but what are those tracking biomarkers with FAM? And obviously, there's um, very we have these very specific biomarkers. But if you can do a little deep dive for me too about what hormones you just did, but what hormones are um, involved with kind of creating those external signs? Yeah. So. Right at the start, like you just ended your period, or I guess you just started your period rather, your body starts producing follicle-stimulating hormone to develop and mature those follicles that house your egg to prepare for ovulation. As those follicles are maturing, you start to see increasing amounts of estrogen, and that's when the cervix gets the sign to produce fertile quality cervical mucus. So it's this really cool like brain ovary feedback loop situation going on, like follicles are growing, maturing, estrogen is increasing, your body is producing cervical mucus. And that's also where you can track uh, luteinizing hormone, which is something that, you know, some clients choose to do or people who are tracking with FAM choose to do. When you start seeing cervical mucus, you can test every day for your LH surge, which is the brain signal that actually, you know, shoots the egg out of that follicle for ovulation. So when we see that we get an LH surge, that means we're most likely going to ovulate within 24 to 36 hours. Then following ovulation, that follicle collapses and it starts producing progesterone. And that takes over, you know, for the rest of your cycle until your period starts and, you know, hormones drop, estrogen and progesterone both drop right before your period. So it's this really cool hormonal orchestra. And 
you know, with progesterone, that's also what increases your basal body temperature. So all of the clues start to build together. Okay. So what are those? Talk, talk me through the, the three. I think you said that there are three, but um, I remember back in the day where, where fam was having you check you where, how your cervix was positioned. That so is ta- one. It is still one. It is, but okay. it's like a, I personally, and the way that I teach it, I say it's more of a cross check because it's kind of difficult and yeah. some people like it and some people don't and you don't need it. So okay. it's one of that's those good things. news. Cause that's yeah. always the one that I was like, not figuring this one out. Me either. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm certified and I'm like, I'm really, I really struggle with finding my cervix. Okay. Okay. Great. That's good to know. Um, yeah. The luteinizing hormone surge is really interesting to me too. So what are those three? We'll remove the finding your cervix. Maybe that'll be a bonus. <laughs> yeah. What are the three um, biomarkers and how do we check those? Yeah. So the first one you always start with is cervical mucus. And that one is the only predictor of upcoming ovulation, which I want to know, I think is a big miscommunication or like a confusing factor with FAM is people think you need to rely on basal body temperature to understand when you're fertile when really that only tells you after ovulation has happened. So when you start seeing a change from dry to something more fertile in quality, and we can dig into that if you want. But when you see that change, that's when you start to notice like, okay, my my fertile window has opened up and you start tracking what you're seeing. In a healthy typical cycle, you'll see maybe like four to six days of uh, like a non-peak, um, which tends to be more of that like lotiony, sticky, gooey type of cervical mucus. And then it progressively gets more slippery, clear, stretchy, wet, and that's more estrogenic in quality. And that's a, cl- a clear sign that you're really, you know, heading right into ovulation because when estrogen peaks, that's when you get your LH surge. So what I have clients do is once they open up their fertile window, they start seeing cervical mucus, we test for LH and they wait until they get the positive and then they have a pretty clear picture of, you know, the window of ovulation. How are you testing for LH? Because that's another, I'm assuming that's another biomarker, but are you using that more for people who are interested in becoming pregnant, less so people who are preventing pregnancy? So actually both because, and and it really depends. I personally, I've been charting for a while, so I don't track LH. You just pee on a strip. It's super in the afternoon, sometime in the afternoon. Um, It's not like a pregnancy test where it's like you pee in the morning and, you know, you're waiting for that threshold of your brain to recognize, you know, the estrogen surge and the LH surge. So you do it once a day in the afternoon, wait till you get the positive. And when you do... That helps us to close out the fertile window. So that's why we use it for birth control is it's another clue. It's like, okay, we have our peak day, our most estrogenic mucus. Also, we had an LH surge and there's a count. So we count so many days after that and we can close out our fertile window because research has showed us that, you know, once these days, three days, four days has passed, you can confirm ovulation. With a couple other cross checks, which we can get into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so talk to me about basal body temp. This is going to be a big one that we have a lot of questions about, but why are we taking our temperature and what does that mean? Yes, if you are prevent, well, either if you're preventing pregnancy or you're trying to conceive, basal body temps help you to determine when ovulation has passed. So once that egg is released from the follicle, you start producing progesterone. 
your temperature will begin to rise. And the picture perfect rise is like 0.5 degrees, right? It's like you are tracking your temps before the first half of your cycle, the follicular phase is low temps. Then the second half, the luteal phase is high temps. So you're looking for this jump in temperature. Some people creep up slowly and that's okay too. But there's some like, you know, there's some protocols in there to help you determine when you've ovulated. So you're doing that to prevent pregnancy so that you can close out your fertile window. I've seen these temps. I've confirmed three high temps. I also have my LH count, my peak day. I'm 100% in the clear. I can't get pregnant for the rest of my cycle. And then for pregnancy, I think it's more of a confirmation, right? It's like, okay, I know I timed up sex correctly. I, you know, timed it up around my LH surge and my peak day. And now my fertile window has closed. Um, In addition, I know when I got pregnant with my daughter, I was counting my luteal phase because you want to have a nice, healthy luteal phase for conception or for um, implantation to happen. So it kind of is nice to say, I also on paper, I have a 10 to 14 day luteal phase. That's what my temps are showing. So I'm assuming progesterone is most likely in a good place. Luteal phase is the phase in between, or not in between, well, yeah, in between ovulation and when you start your period. And I have heard that this phase is usually 14 days on Mm -hmm. the dot. Is that true or not? Because you just said 10 days is is fine too. 14 days is like the typical picture perfect. I think I see a lot of people that are transitioning off of birth control and also struggling with hormone imbalances. And oftentimes they'll have shorter luteal phases because that hormone, the progesterone starts to drop off early and they begin their period early. So 10 days is like the the minimum of kind of a healthy fertile or luteal phase. And if you have anything less than that, you're most likely dealing with, you know, premenstrual spotting, spotting after ovulation, maybe trouble conceiving, maybe a lot of hormone imbalances or symptoms. And what could be the cause of a short or insufficient, I would say, luteal mm-hmm. phase in in terms of I want to get pregnant and my luteal phase isn't strong. What's going on? Yeah, it often is that progesterone levels are insufficient. And what we need is we need that egg, the fertilized egg to stay implanted into the uterine lining. And so what happens is when that egg implants, progesterone and estrogen continue to rise when HCG starts getting produced. And that has to continue rising until the placenta takes over at, I think it's 12 or 13 weeks, something like that. And so if the hormones start to drop early, that egg either isn't going to stay implanted or it doesn't have enough time to implant. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we can see issues. Um, And there's a lot of different things at play. Of course, there can be, you know, imbalances with estrogen and progesterone, the ratio, it can be thyroid that can be affecting things, Um, mineral deficiencies. I mean, being on birth control for many years and having hormonal deficiencies and mineral deficiencies, a lot of gut, gut stuff, a lot of stuff can play into it. Hmm. I like (laughs) to hear you talk about minerals. Okay. (laughs) So this is, well, let's just jump into our questions about temperature taking. Cause I think that this is a big hangup for people. So do you recommend special talk me through? Okay. First talk me through how how are we actually taking our temperature every day? And yeah. do you recommend a special thermometer for this? Or does this, can we just do this with like our thermometer we use when we're sick? 
Yes. Oh my gosh. Such a good question. Okay. So there's two different ways you can temp. The first one is orally and you do need a basal body thermometer. So it's temping to the second decimal point, like 97.12, like very specific. And you can get those on Amazon. You can go to the local pharmacy and find them. They're very inexpensive, but with oral temping, you have to wake up around the same time every day because like every half an hour you wake up later, your your temperature can raise like 0.1 degree. But some bodies are super sensitive and some aren't. So you kind of got to test it out. But, you know, I was recently in the earlier postpartum phase, right? So I was waking up throughout the night. I had inconsistent mm-hmm. sleep. Um, and so oral temping wasn't really working for me because I had a lot of sleep disturbance. Some people work overnight. So in that case, I often recommend the temp drop, which I have. And I think it's incredible. It's a wearable thermometer you wear under your armpit. um, And it takes your most accurate sleeping temperature. So it feeds out disturbances with its algorithm and it gives you your most accurate resting temp, which is what basal body temperature is. Interesting. When does it grab like at what point is that temperature? What's our like ideal resting body temperature? Is that something that was it like 2 a.m. or do you even know when it happens? I That's a good question. I don't know if it's a specific time. I think it's when, I don't know, like your body's truly at rest. Like when you wake up in the morning, it's like that's your kind of your baseline. But think about this too, like temperature in your room can kind of affect things. Being sick can affect things. Drinking the night before can affect your temperature a little bit. So with Temp Drop, for example, it has an algorithm in place to weed all those things out. And then it like somehow finds the most accurate. I don't know exactly how it works, but it's pretty great. It's a, it's an awesome thermometer for for ease if you're like mm, I'm not really a morning temp person or you're seeing wild temps with no rhyme or reason. Okay, and is that you just wear that at night? Yeah, you wear it you so you put it on before you go to bed, doesn't matter what time, and you take it off at the time when you're like ready to get up for the day. So, you know, even if you're a breastfeeding mom and you're waking up multiple times, you just keep it on. And then when you're like time for me to get up for the day, that's when you can take it off. Okay. And you mentioned that sometimes you, you'll you see changes in your temperature if you wake up at different times. Yeah. So if somebody is still just using the thermometer first thing in the morning, how how do we kind of weed or how, what do we do with that information? If we are kind of, what you know, it's Saturday and Sunday and we're waking mm-hmm. up a little bit later, like how are we using this information or how do we record like, okay, we were we were up late, later. Do you kind of use like an app or do you use, do you recommend like paper charting? What's your favorite? So uh, yeah, paper charting is great, but some people like that and some people don't. I personally recommend the Read Your Body app. It's a newer app that's come out in the past couple of years and it's been, you know, formulated by women and by fertility awareness creator educators and so it's there's different um methods within fertility awareness method. Like people kind of teach it differently and that app is just tailored to whichever way you chart. It's so customizable. And you can also, you know, you can it syncs with temp drop. Um you can put in your cervical mucus, you can put in your basal body temps, you can draw your cover line. I mean, there's so many cool things you can do. You have to know how to to use the method though. It's not like a regular tracking app that will predict anything for you. It's like you are putting in your info, but you can say if a temp's disturbed. Um, really with temperature, you're looking for patterns. So you're looking for that low temps in the first half of your cycle, high temps in the second. And so I feel like the only time it gets really annoying is if you've had sleep disturbances right around ovulation, because that's when you're really wanting to see that clear jump. Um, 
Other times, it's honestly, if you're somebody that doesn't sleep well or you have a weird night shift work or something like that. Um, But other than that, like somebody's, they're not even that sensitive. Like they'll be able to tell a difference a little bit between maybe a 7 a.m. wake up and a 9 a.m. wake up. But it's not that drastic where we can't figure out what the data is saying. How long do you recommend that somebody charts or tracks their temps before they start using the data? Because obviously you're learning a ton about yourself. You're learning how long your cycle is. You're learning how long your follicular or your first phase is versus your luteal. And so I think sometimes it's nice just to get the baseline and also like learn how to do it. So what's your recommendations there so people don't get frustrated or too analytical like me? Exactly. I feel like I'm saying a lot and I want to make sure it's very clear. It's not as complicated as maybe it sounds like once you sort of see it on paper, it makes sense. Um, But the first month you're charting, so say you just got off birth control and you're wanting to use this for pregnancy prevention, that first month I do recommend like have a barrier method on hand, like condoms or whatever you choose to do, whatever feels good for you and your partner. Um, And if you're working with somebody, they can help you confirm ovulation that first chart. And then you still you have your whole second half of your cycle where you're fine. The second cycle is where you start to get a little bit more familiar and you feel a bit more confident about, okay, I've kind of seen where ovulation happened cycle one. Here's where it looks like it's happening cycle two. By the third cycle, we say you can start to really use it for birth control. Um, But having said that, I people are different, right? So like if they have been on birth control for many years, maybe they don't have the picture perfect cycle of ovulating regularly all the time. And that's when you can still 100% use the method for birth control. You just maybe have to be creative and, you know, have a couple different like pregnancy prevention plans there, like condoms or withdrawal method or whatever you choose to do. Got it. Okay. One last question about the Temp tracking. This is from Rini Kate. She says, how do you chart or take your temperature when you're traveling abroad or changing time zones? Yeah, that's just one of those tricky things. That's where I would say temp drop is what you would want to be using. If you know you're a traveler, if you know that you're going on a big trip or something, I would just invest in the temp drop. Um, or, you know, if you've been charting for a while, you're really looking and relying on cervical mucus anyway. So remember that basal body temperature is a cross check to close out your fertile window. So I've personally, like the past couple months, I have not been charting temperature just because I've been lazy, but I know I've been following cervical mucus patterns and I know when I go to dry and, mm-hmm. um, and things like that. So depending on how long you chart, you could just also not temp that cycle. If you struggle to fall asleep or wake up in the middle of the night, I have the thing that will help and a code to get you 50% off. If you haven't tried high quality CBD oil, it can be life changing. And even if you have, using a potent product and taking enough can make all the difference when it comes to anxiety, sleep disturbances, stress, and chronic pain. I love Feels CBD oil. I found Feels, F-E-A-L-S, Feels, a little over a year ago, and I decided to start experimenting with it because it's organic, natural, and entirely produced in the USA. They use 100% organic MCT oil as the carrier oil to stabilize and increase the CBD's bioavailability. Their products are formulated with only the purest ingredients and without the use of fillers, flavors, or unnecessary fluff. Feels CBD oil naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. And the way it works is that CBD interacts with your endocannabinoids 
endocannabinoid system. Just like we have receptors for dopamine and serotonin, we also have receptors for cannabinoids. It couldn't be easier to use. Just place a dropper of the Feel CBD oil under your tongue and you'll feel the difference within minutes. The thing to remember about CBD is that potency is important. And if you've taken CBD oil in the past and not seen any results, you may have not had a potent product. I recently upped my dose. It's a pretty high dose. It's the strongest one Feels makes, but it has made such a difference. It's a lifesaver in the second half of my cycle when I'm struggling with sleep. And if I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't go back to sleep, it helps me fall back to sleep instantly. The best way to get high quality CBD oil at a discount is to become a Feels member that gives you 30% off, which is huge. I'm a member and I have the 2400 milligram bottle shipped every two months. You can pause or cancel at any time. And with our special code, you actually get 50% off your first order. Become a member today by going to feels.com forward slash wellfed and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. Again, that's feels, F-E-A-L-S.com forward slash wellfed. Become a member and get 50% off your first order. Yeah, there was a short period of time where I was temp tracking and I think it was more just to learn about my body and Mm -hmm. sync up the temp tracking with other very clear like signs that I'm ovulating and or my period's about to start, stuff like that. So now, I mean, I know right now, like I ovulated two days ago, but I'm not, I never track temperatures. It's just something I note, you know, when I'm going to the bathroom. And also I've learned about my body in particular that I have um, just a tiny, tiny little bit of ovulation pain right after it happens. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, it's about to happen. And then yesterday I was like, oh man, it almost feels like a kind of like a little cramp, but it lasts for just a few hours. And every single time that I've gotten pregnant, which is odd, um, even with my miscarriage or three pregnancies, we like, we have done the deed right before, literally maybe 12 hours before I felt that little woke up and felt that pain. So it was always like the night before or like a few hours before, never during, of course, never after, but it yeah. had to, it always was like, oh my gosh, that was synced really well. And with my son, that's what, how I knew I was like, <laughs> I think I'm pregnant. Pretty sure that was timed way too perfectly. And- yeah. I started feeling a little dizzy like a week later mm-hmm. and um, grabbed some pregnancy tests. And my husband was like, what the heck? <laughs> and I was like, I think I think this is what this is. And so I yeah. started actually taking pregnancy tests like I think six days before my period. And I just started taking it every day because I was like, I'm going to see when it shows it. Yeah, you knew <laughs> it showed it like three days before. So that's another cool thing. Oh, what's it called? It's like middle schmerz. It's like some weird name for the ovulation pain, but um, it can be a sign for you. But be careful because everyone's might be a little different. Like some might show up leading up to ovulation. Some might show up right after. So I'm always like, that's another cross check, right? Like yeah. don't rely on that one if you're pregnancy prevention. Yes, unless, yes, yes. You know, unless you're kind of, you you know your pattern. But it is, yes. it's, it's an interesting cross check. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get okay. It too. So I want to know when do women usually ovulate? So what day of their cycle and some how would someone know that like it, it just is kind of the troubleshooting area. So how would someone know if they're not ovulating? Because sometimes you do see cervical changes, um, yes. not cervical changes, cervical mucus changes because of estrogen, but you're not ovulating. Yes. And that's where temping is also helpful because when you have something like PCOS or maybe post-pill PCOS or just long cycles for whatever reason due to hormone imbalance, 
um, blood sugar dysregulation, then you'll see like spouts of cervical mucus because your body keeps trying to ovulate. So it's like estrogen rises and you'll see like, oh my gosh, I've opened up my fertile window, but then it goes back to dry and then you have another bout of cervical mucus. So that's where temping is extremely helpful because if you never see that temperature rise, you know you're not ovulating. Um, Also, if, if you don't get a period like that 10 to 14 days after you see that and you keep seeing cervical mucus, that's another obviously clear sign. But um, what was the question right before that? Because there was another part of it I was going to answer. When? Oh, what day? Oh, what day? Yes. Ovulation. It's tricky because if you Google it, you're going to find the day 14 thing, right? It's like, oh, most of us ovulate around day 14. If you have a 28-day cycle, you may very well ovulate around day 14. Um, I'm like a day 13-ish person. I have 27-day cycles. But the thing is that it's not always consistent. And that's why you hear people that say, oh, I've been using, I used fertility awareness method or natural family planning and I got pregnant. It's most likely because they were assuming that their pattern was going to stay consistent and they ovulated early one month or they ovulated late one month. And if you're paying attention to cervical mucus, you actually will know, oh my goodness, I see the clear sign that my fertile window is now open um, and I need to use a barrier method or abstain or whatever it is that you choose to do within that window. Got it. Okay. So let's get into fertility. Yeah. How many days a month can we actually get pregnant? What is that window? Five to six days is it. You can only get pregnant the five to six days leading up. So the five days leading up to ovulation, the day after the egg survives for 24 hours. Um, And the sperm can only live in fertile quality mucus for five days leading up to ovulation. So anytime outside of that, the sperm will die before ovulation happens. Uh, The only thing that makes it a little tricky is we don't always know the five days leading up to ovulation. That's why we look for cervical mucus to help us. And if you're someone that has long cycles, you might be like, it feels like I'm fertile all the time. I'm always seeing cervical mucus. And that's where, you know, you can kind of learn how to identify your, what we call like a basic and fertile pattern. You're not fertile all those times, but the longer you chart, you can start to build calculation rules and kind of figure out what your routine is and what your body typically does. Um, And that helps you open up days when you have a lot of cervical mucus in your cycle. So ovulation is technically the release of an egg and then that egg becomes fertilized, correct? Yeah. So when the egg is released, the sperm will fertilize that egg within the fallopian tube Mm -hmm. within that 24 hours that it's alive in there um, or before it dissolves, I guess. But our our cervix has these cervical crypts. And so when you have sex and your partner ejaculates, I don't know any other way to say it, the sperm goes into these crypts and like hangs out. It can stay nourished by the cervical mucus, which is just wild because cervical mucus changes the pH level of our vagina to be more alkaline so that sperm can survive. It's like nourishing to sperm. It helps it transport to the egg. And it's funny because it's like, it just camps out there waiting for ovulation for five days. Now, if you're dry, right, and you're in a non-fertile phase because you've been checking your cervical mucus, the sperm will die within minutes to hours. It can't live in that um, acidic environment. Hmm. And it can't obviously live after ovulation has happened. It's also acidic environment. Progesterone blocks your cervix and there's no egg for it to fertilize at that point. Interesting. So when you're saying that 
you can get pregnant up to five days before you ovulate. It's not that you your egg is all of a sudden available for fertilization five days right. before you ovulate. It's that there are sperm chilling mm-hmm. and they're just take, <laughs> they're just waiting. They're and waiting. Then something happens where or sorry, something happens. Ovulation happens and then then they they can make their way to the egg. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Our body it is crazy. Our body is wise. It's like it's whether or not you want to procreate, it's designed to procreate. <laughs> um, so you got to work around that because I'm definitely not. I don't want to procreate at this phase. I need to wait a while. So yes. I'm in the I'm in that phase right now of my life. OK, so one of the um, popular questions that I know you probably get is, can you actually track your cycles while you're on birth control and why or why not? Mm-hmm. Yes. So common. You cannot when you're on hormonal birth control. And that's because whether or not you're on the combo pill, so synthetic estrogen and progestion or just the progestion only or the marina or like, you know, the cop, not the copper IUD, the progestion copper, the progestion IUD, you are suppressing your natural hormones. So you're not going to see estrogen dominant cervical mucus because your cervix isn't going to be triggered to produce that fertile quality CM. What you'll probably see is like a dense, thick sort of mucus that's produced by that synthetic progestion. It's not fertile. It's something that your body is producing on the hormones. And so you can't relate that to what you would regularly chart off of hormones. Um, The other thing is you won't see basal body temperature fluctuations because you're not ovulating. So you won't see like the low high temps. If you're on the copper IUD, you actually can chart and it's pretty cool. I've had people that they just want to learn, you know, and so they're like, I feel safe while I have the copper IUD in and I'm going to actually practice and learn. And then they get it taken out. The only thing I see with the copper IUD is sometimes it can like alter cervical mucus observations. I don't know why. I don't know if it's maybe like inflammation or cervical irritation, but sometimes it can alter CM observations just from maybe like an irritation standpoint. Yeah. It's interesting. I did have the copy IUD IUD for a while. And like many people, I had such a heavy flow and it was, um, I just felt more irritated and inflamed. So Mm -hmm. I eventually got it removed and that's how I started the fertility awareness method. Um, I did the, I think it was called the Nuva ring, which I don't know if it's even available anymore as, as is hormonal birth control for like, I had that too. Oh, you did. Yeah. I had that for a little while. It was my least favorite. It like slipped out of my body all the time. It sucked. I hated it. It was weird. And it it just, my boobs hurt, like all the Mm. symptoms that immediately started happening. I was like, absolutely not. And then I was like, okay, copper IUD, here we go. But I just, you know, back then, and this was 12 years ago or so, like back then it just wasn't, it, fam wasn't as widely known. Right. So now that I, <laughs> there was no apps, there were, there was no tracking support for it. Really. I don't even think I had a smartphone to be honest, which really dates no. me. No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I, I don't, I didn't have a smartphone. I mean, in college, yeah, I throughout college, I think I had a BlackBerry, which yeah. maybe was a smartphone, but I don't even remember what you could do on it. It was smart then. <laughs> yeah, it was smarter. <laughs> um, but it's so it's nice how there's so much education and it is so easy now to get the information that you need mm-hmm. to be able to like feel more empowered to get off of some more hormonal birth controls if you do want to kind of track and understand your body more and stuff like that. So 
Yeah. 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 And there's lots of there's lots of resources. I mean, you even mentioned Lisa Hendrickson Jack. She's incredible. And she her book tells you a lot too. There's a lot of different methods that you can use that work for your lifestyle. Like you can make it work for you. It doesn't have to be this like incredibly overwhelming thing. Yeah. Okay. So this is another big question because um I am a geriatric millennial. Um, and I, you know, as you just get older and even though my kids are younger, I had kids later. And, um, as you kind of start to see your friends hit 40 and 42 and 43, you know, what are we talking about? Does perimenopause or the Mm -hmm. approaching perimenopause? So tracking cycles during perimenopause, any special considerations? And this is from Ronell. Oh, run, Nelly, run. I like that. She says, does my cycle tracking need to change with perimenopause? Yeah. So I don't know exactly what she's charting, what biomarkers she's charting, but what you'll start to notice is your cycle's becoming consistent again. So the the beauty, I guess, of fertility awareness method when you're in that very... Um, regular cycle phase is like you can add those calculation rules or you can add like the calendar rules, right? I kind of understand when my body's going to do this thing and I can, I know what to look out for. But with perimenopause, you might notice that your cycles are getting shorter or much longer. And we can't predict that because hormones are starting to decrease and fluctuate. So what you need to do is you need to be very clear on your understanding of cervical mucus and charting that and and making sure if you were kind of lax for a while, um, you are really paying attention every day because your fertile window might open up earlier or it might start later than you expected. And you don't want to, you know, have sex in the wrong time because you're relying on an old chart or something like that. So, yeah, you have to kind of pay attention and maybe add a couple more cross checks in there. But I think personally, it, I mean, I'm I'm only, I'm turning 34 this spring, okay? So I'm like, in my mind already, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm almost mid-30s and I'm going to have to start <laughs> thinking about this soon. But I think it's interesting because you also will be so primed with information about your body and your symptoms. And I think tracking in all these phases is, is such a leg up because you'll understand what's going on and you'll hear some of these symptoms that may be, may be popping up. Okay, what's before we move into some of these listener questions, what's the biggest mistake that you see women make when tracking cycles? Oh my goodness. Usually it's with algorithm apps. Um okay. and people I, I actually recently wrote a blog post like that friend that got pregnant using fertility awareness method, were they actually using fertility awareness method? And there's really cool apps out there like Natural Cycles and the Aura Ring Collab and, you know, other things. Um, But they're predicting for you. And so people rely on it and think that's fertility awareness method when it's an algorithm using data and also predicting like when your cycle might, when you might be ovulating. And so mistakes can happen that way. The other biggest mistake is that people think basal body temperature tells them when they're ovulating instead of confirming when it's closed, when ovulation has closed. So people will think they're ovulating after their temps have risen. And so I guess that's more of a concern when you're trying to conceive. But in general, Basal body temperature does not help you determine when you're in your fertile window, and that can be a big mistake. Got it. Okay, let's talk more into about fer- fertility tracking apps <laughs> yeah. because I, I've seen you kind of rant about this a little bit, but <laughs> what do you think is the best tracking method? So somebody says, should I, I'm going to track things, you know, mm-hmm. should I do it via an app or a journal? Mm-hmm. Um, somebody said, 
this is from Dana Primo. She says, I'm actually concerned about data privacy. So, yeah, that's a big thing right now. And I understand why. So um, I would if somebody just came to me straight up and said, I want to start charting with fertility awareness method, I would say either get temp drop if that's going to fit with your lifestyle or get a basal body thermometer and then download read your body app and learn a method. Like those are the three things I would say. If somebody wants to use an algorithm based app, I would kind of urge them to say that is I you can use it as information, but it's not fertility awareness method unless you're charting your cervical mucus biomarkers every day. Um so I don't know if that answers your question, but if they want to use an algorithm-based app, they definitely can. I just wouldn't rely solely on that. I would still learn fertility awareness method Got in it. addition. Do you have like um, downloadable charts <clears throat> or anything on your website for people to use to actually track it by hand? I do. I What's funny is I just took it down yesterday. <laughs> it was like a $10. I can send it to you to link it in the show notes, but okay. I do have a paper chart um, okay. that I'm happy to share. And so I, when I was actually trying to conceive, I printed a bunch out and kept them in a journal because I guess I'm nerdy like that. And I liked coloring them in and charting them. So I have people that love to do both. Sometimes they just love paper charting, but you know, apps are so convenient too. So yeah, you've got yeah. both options. Yeah. Um, okay. I know a lot of people just like pen and paper. So mm -hmm. this, that should be a, a lead magnet for you. I had, I thought about that and I don't know why I was kind of updating my website yesterday and I took it down. I was like, yeah, nobody needs that paper chart anymore. So it's interesting you brought it up because it was just this week that I took it off. <laughs> okay. Well, that's going to be a freemium. Mm -hmm. Add add your email here <laughs> and then I'll teach you how to do it more efficiently with an app. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, interesting update. This is, this is more recent for when we're doing this, which is fall 2022, but the Apple Watch just yes. added temperature tracking to the watch. So is that, does that really work for cycle thinking and, and how, what's the accuracy? Maybe you haven't tried it, but what are your thoughts? No, I, I just wrote a blog post and recorded a podcast episode all about this. <laughs> so I love that you asked it. Um, yes, it is accurate. Like it's the, the temperature tracking is sen sensitive enough now that it actually takes your accurate basal body temperature from what I researched. But they're not um, they're not claiming to like be a birth control method, right? So you can use that data with your other charting. So my thing is like the Apple Watch is obviously very expensive. So if you have it for other reasons, like if you're using it, you know, for whatever other reasons you have the Apple Watch, then totally just use the basal body portion of it. I think it'll work great. I haven't personally tried it and I haven't had any clients that have the new one to try it yet either. But I, from what I've researched and read, I think it'll work for basal body temp. You just have to obviously use your your paper chart or your read your body app or whatever to, to mar mark your data. Do you have to wear that overnight to get it accurately or is it like but, tracking your temperature throughout the day or something? No, it, you have to wear it overnight. So okay. it's like kind of the idea, I think the same as the um, temp drop. Now, here's the other thing. And this is like another conversation. But if you are concerned about EMFs, like the Apple Watch has higher EMF, whatever. I, I looked up that as opposed to some of the other ones, it doesn't actually sync to your phone. and unless you have your app open and you're actively syncing it. So that's something to keep in mind too, if you don't mm -hmm. want to wear something like that overnight. 
Unless yeah, maybe I, you can turn your phone off or I don't know how that works. I don't have an Apple watch. Yeah. Well, I don't love, well, so you can, you can turn off Wi-Fi and you can, you can put it in airplane mode. So essentially okay. it would turn it off. And I don't know if that would change the functionality. I don't think it would, okay. but um, I don't wear mine at night, but I still, I just turn it off. I disconnect it from Wi-Fi and I disconnect it. I put it in airplane mode. I don't have um, like a, a call watch. It's just something that syncs to my my phone. So I don't have like 5G on my wrist, yeah. but um, I do still put it, you know, turn off Wi-Fi and all that kind of stuff at night, but I'm still moving it like away from my body. I don't have it on me, but I would mm-hmm. assume that it would still hopefully work if you did put it in airplane and mode and turned off Wi-Fi, disconnected Wi-Fi, um, and probably you'd have to disconnect Bluetooth. I would assume it would still work because I do some of my workouts and I'm still, in, you know, oh, I'm cool. like, oh, I accident, you know, it's, I haven't turned it on yet. So it hasn't, you know, synced up, but, um, but it's I, taking your temperature it's still and it's taking, taking it, yeah. your heart rate. Yeah. Then that's really cool. I think if that's a, if, if you're concerned about EMFs, it maybe won't be bothering you overnight. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah, mm-hmm. I do think it would work as far as a basal body temperature thermometer. It'd just be an expensive one if that's the only reason why you're back <laughs> yeah. it. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's get into some of these uh, questions. This is from Jody. She says, my cycle is consistently 25 days. Should I be concerned that it's so short? The typical cycle, and I want to, I'm trying to remember this correctly. It's either like 24 to 36 days, right? It's like a range. I would not want a cycle to be less than 24 days because that's probably going to mean a shorter luteal phase and there's maybe something going on there. Um, If you're trying to do fertility awareness method for pregnancy prevention, then you might have like a shorter pre-ovulatory window where you're not fertile, you know, so that might, you might lose some days there for for unprotected sex. But I would cross-reference with how you're feeling hormonally. Like, how do you feel? Do you have any other symptoms? Are you spotting? Is there anything else going on that maybe would make a 25-day cycle concern? But I think it does fall under the range of normal. It's just on the lower end. Just as a follow-up question, this is from Kristen, and I got a couple about these, and I'm going to throw in my own personal experience. So she says, my cycle is about 23 days now that I've had two kids. It was 28 days like clockwork before babies. My partner and I have been trying to conceive again for a while now. Is the shorter cycle a marker of decreased fertility? And Kristen, like Kristen, I have, after my second kid, I was 28 days every day, but after my second kid, it dropped down to like 25, which is mm-hmm. kind of was like, well, what's wrong with me? What happened? What did these kids do to me? They, <laughs> they do a lot to you. They do a lot. But, <laughs> so I, I, I still, you know, being fully recovered, not breastfeeding anymore. It's never really gone back. And so I'm like, is this aging? <laughs> um, so how old the- was she? Did she mention her age? She hasn't mentioned her age, no. But what is that a a marker of decreased fertility? And what, I don't know if you you have some thoughts on like what might be the reason. Um, I think it can make it more difficult to conceive. I would definitely track your basal body temperature and see if if you're having a short follicular phase or a short luteal phase. I guess either way, it can cause some problems because if it's a short luteal phase, you're going to have trouble with that implantation or you might, right? You mm-hmm. might have trouble. With the follicular phase, um, if you're ovulating early, there may be something weird going on with estrogen levels or just like hormone balance in general or maybe 
sufficient hormones within that follicle. Like, why is that follicle ovulating early? Why is estrogen reaching a threshold too quickly and triggering LH surge? So yeah, I, it definitely could be playing a role. Also check if you're premenstrual spotting. And so if you're spotting more than like two or three days before you get a period, that's another sign of low progesterone levels. Low progesterone. Okay. Jessica says on the opposite end of this, what about consistent 35 day long cycles? I'm struggling with luteal phase defects. She said PMS temps not rising as high. I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure I'm not ovulating. Well, she is ovulating if her temps are rising. So if she's seen a rise in sustained temps, she's ovulating. And also I it sounds like she's ovulating because she's still getting a consistent period. If she wasn't getting a period at all, I would then question if she was ovulating, but it just sounds like maybe not complete healthy ovulation. And one of the things too, I always say, if your temps are really low is check your thyroid, like Mm. see what's going on with that. Cause the thyroid, you know, the master gland and everything kind of trickles out underneath that. So check your thyroid, see what's going on there. That also can be a cause for all of the PMS symptoms. Um, when we talk about low progesterone, I want to say like, there's a lot you can do just lifestyle wise too. Like, are you feeding your body enough? Are you over-exercising? You know, are you sleeping enough? There's a lot of things you can do, like even amping up um, whole food vitamin C, little things to help boost progesterone naturally. You can always get them tested if you want to see if something's going on there. But I always find that that's sort of like a later um, check. Got it. Okay, this is from Kate. She says, and this is a big topic, and you've mm. had a lot of experience with this, so I'm excited to hear what you think. I've had cycle my cycle back since seven, month, seven months postpartum, and I've been mostly regular. I'm still nursing my two-year-old. Any tips on increasing chances of getting pregnant without weaning? But as a follow-up question, I do have multiple ones about breastfeeding. For example, Emily Ann says tips for tracking while breastfeeding, and Jen says, how do I do this when breastfeeding postpartum? Mm. So maybe talk, give me a little bit of an overview of how do you track your cycles when you're breastfeeding? Yeah. And then is it possible to optimize fertility and really track your cycles and all that stuff while you're still breastfeeding? Yes. Yeah, so such a good question. So I will put this out there. Breastfeeding and tracking is the wild, wild west. There's no rhyme or reason. Everybody's body is so crazy and different. The children do a lot to us like in so many different ways. So it really depends. Um, If you are exclusively breastfeeding, so that means like around the clock, doesn't take a bottle, you're not pumping, like the baby is just always on the boob. Um, There's something called the LAM method, L-A-M, lactation or I don't know. I can't can't remember what the acronym is offhand, but it's like you have a certain amount of months where research has showed you are most likely infertile. Um, if you're partially breastfeeding, so you're maybe pumping a little bit or formula feeding a little bit, then that decreases a lot because the more this, the nipple obviously is stimulated, the more prolactin you're going to produce, the less estrogen and progesterone you're going to make. So that's where it, like there's some inconsistencies, but here's what I will say. It is best to probably work through a program or an instructor when you're breastfeeding if you want to chart correctly, because you'll have to identify what's called a basic infertile pattern. So you're kind of noting you're most likely going to be dry for a long time. And then once you see a switch, like, oh, I noticed I see some cervical mucus, the chances that it's fertile and you're about to ovulate are probably slim if you're really breastfeeding. So you kind of have to start charting that. And then there's like a protocol with that. And then that kind of, you'll start to notice that's my infertile 
CM. Now I'm seeing a switch to what I know is more estrogenic. I assume I'm going to ovulate. So there's some like ways to work around breastfeeding. Also, you can still take your temp. So it's kind of crazy. I guess like research has shown that when you're taking your temps and you're breastfeeding, they start to stabilize right before ovulation. So they're like all over the place, no rhyme or reason. And then they just start to get closer together. And it can be a clue that you're going to ovulate for the first time. Okay, here's the deal. If you've been taking a magnesium supplement but have yet to see a change in your symptoms, it's time to try a compound magnesium supplement. Magnesium is essential to our health and our well-being, and deficiencies have become a huge problem. It can cause everything from migraines and sleep issues to increases in a risk of experiencing chronic diseases. We shouldn't wait until we are deficient in magnesium to start taking it. And even more critically, there's not just one type of magnesium. Now, normally I'm a big advocate of getting as many of your nutrients from food, but in this case, it's almost impossible to get enough of magnesium through food alone because our soil is so overworked and mineral depleted and lacking organic matter, which helps the plants get the minerals from the soil. Fortunately, Bioptimizers has a solution. Magnesium Breakthrough has seven types of magnesium and it's specially formulated to reach every tissue in your body. It gives you access to the full spectrum of magnesium, which can dramatically improve your overall health from reducing stress to improving sleep, to boosting your energy levels, to maybe helping you get over the cold that you got from your kid. Like I am in this situation right now, I sometimes up my dose of magnesium when I am sick and it does help. Right now you can try Magnesium Breakthrough and any other product from Bioptimizers for 10% off. Just go to magbreakthrough.com forward slash wellfed10. That's mag, so M-A-G, breakthrough, B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com forward slash wellfed10. Use the code wellfed10 to boost your intake of magnesium. You can sign up for a subscription as well like I did. We get five bottles sent to us every five months because we go through a bottle a month for the two of us and it does help cut down on the costs. Again, that's magbreakthrough.com forward slash wellfed10. So say that again. So your temperatures become like when you're breastfeeding, your temperature, your basal body temperature, you wake up at the same time every day and you take that temp or you try to at least. Yeah. That temperature can be all over the place, but right but right when you're about to ovulate, it's very consistent. Yes, because you're in this like very, very long extended follicular phase, like an indefinite follicular phase when you're breastfeeding. You're not quite sure when that first ovulation is going to happen. But uh, somehow, I don't know what it is, if it's like maybe the surge in estrogen or because estrogen actually can drop your temps too. So I don't know if it's that, but I the sense of plan book is where I read this. It was super cool. They just start to get closer together right before ovulation. So it could be a sign that you're about to ovulate. Now, for me, I had a lot of trouble breastfeeding. So I actually got my cycle back very early and I was sort of doing like formula and a little bit of breastfeeding here and there. So if your cycle comes back, you can absolutely just start tracking again. It just might be short cycle, long cycle. You know what I mean? It might not be consistent like we've talked about back to 28 days. So you just have to apply the rules in your specific cycle, no matter if it's short or long, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Totally. Yeah. And just as a, like, I get this question a lot. So I want to say this here too. You, for most, it's totally normal not to get your cycle back. Like the majority of women actually get it back after 12 months postpartum. So just because you haven't gotten it back, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's been a year, 
does not mean that you have you have problems with your cycle. It's totally normal. Um, the tricky thing is, and this is what happens to a lot of women, they say, well, I got pregnant and I was breastfeeding and I didn't have a cycle. Well, you got pregnant on that first cycle back. What right. <laughs> you just never got to the cycle part. You got to yes. the population part. So um, that's why it's so tricky and so important to kind of start learning those those symptoms or whatever, those signs. Signs, yeah. And also use other forms of, you know, use a condom if you're really dark. Yes, and <laughs> that... I was going to say, that's another thing, too. Like, there are various different types of barrier methods. And Mm -hmm. I hesitate to say this, but I am going to throw it out there. Withdrawal method, when done perfectly, can be effective if you're pretty certain that you're dry. You know what I mean? Like, I would never Mm -hmm. ask somebody that's, I do not want to get pregnant. It is the worst thing that would ever happen to me to test it if they're not sure. But, like, if you're breastfeeding and you have these long cycles, it's like, there, there are effective ways to prevent pregnancy naturally. I don't mind condoms. There's also this new thing called Fexi. I don't know if you've heard of Fexi. It's a mm-hmm. spermicidal uh, gel, and it just alters the pH of your your vagina, makes it more alkaline. No, I'm sorry, acidic. Um, and it's on demand, so you just use it like right before you have sex. You could get a diaphragm, and I, I know a couple people that still use diaphragms. But yeah, there's ways. There's definitely mm-hmm. ways. You don't have to get back on birth control if you don't want to. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. We, we were, we were pretty set on, we were like, nope, this is not happening. So if if you want to do it, you're putting on a condom. Yeah. Basically (laughs) where we got, because it's just like not interested. And, but then once your cycle comes back and you can start tracking, you know, exactly like you can get right back on the wagon, so to speak. And you can, you have clear fertility windows and you know when not to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Exactly. Okay. So I we're getting a little bit close to time here, but I got a couple more that I think are really important. And this one is related to that. This is from Tara D. Hawks. She says, how do you use cycle tracking when you have PCOS or irregular cycles? Yeah, good question. That is where you would, number one, you would be sort of identifying your basic infertile pattern after a few months of charting. So you'll start to hopefully see like, okay, I often see this type of cervical mucus, but I know it's not fertile for my body. You can start to kind of apply these clues when you've been tracking for a while that help you to develop this basic infertile pattern. But in addition to that, charting when you have PCOS, I think is actually, it's essential because you will get a picture of what your body looks like when it's trying to ovulate, or maybe when your body's under a lot of stress, you'll be able to see it quicker because that can really affect ovulation. When it comes down to it with PCOS, it's like blood sugar regulation, a lot of different things, right? Hormone imbalances, stress on the body in some form that's preventing ovulation. So you can really use your data to kind of help pull things together. Um, But sometimes it's easy to work with an instructor too, just throwing that out there if you have PCOS because it can get a little bit tricky. Yeah. Okay. So back to the temp taking. This is mm-hmm. from Musky Fuel. She says, when tracking your temperature in the morning, do you take the blanket off or do you <laughs> leave it on? <laughs> yeah, just leave it on. It, okay. It's interesting to see how temperature fluctuations will affect you. But like, if that's what you were doing when you were sleeping, just leave it on. Right. Okay. And like, stay consistent. Yeah. She also said, asks, why, can you explain some reasons why my basal body temperature pre and post ovulation are half a, de- a degree lower than my norm? Does she mean like the whole, like, like the whole pre-ovulatory phase and the whole luteal phase? Like what's her norm? Maybe I would I'm not say, under- 
I took this as the te- her temperature right before ovulation and maybe right after. So like the day before and the day after are a little bit lower. Okay. Oh, okay. So estrogen de- suppresses your temperature. So it could be because you have that estrogen surge. And so that's dropping your temperature a little bit. And then it takes a little minute for progesterone sometimes to work up. So it could just be that high estrogen that you're experiencing right around ovulation. Actually, Hot. it's most likely that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is from Nicole um, Tharper. She says, how does your uh, basal metabolic temperature, she, I think she said BMT, but mm. I think she means basal body, body temp, not basal metabolic temp. Okay. How does your temperature change or fluctuate when you're sick? Yeah. I mean, it's going to fluctuate. If you have a fever, you're going to see that on your chart. If again, you, I've seen like, if you put a lot of stress on your body in general, again, from drinking or maybe over-exercising, you might see a drop in temperature because your body's trying to compensate and conserve energy. So yeah, it'll definitely reflect. The only time again, that gets really annoying is if it's all the time and it's right around ovulation. So that's when I would suggest, again, a temp drop. Um, Or maybe look at why your body is in constant stress if it is all the time. And that could be a clue for you to to kind of work on stress reduction. Got it. Or sickness. I know it was sickness, but they both, they play a role. Yeah. And I mean, this is from uh, Kay Johan 87. She says, what things can affect cycle length? So talk to me about stress, adrenal fatigue, weight loss, and weight gain. Does that all impact the length of your cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all does because it's your body, your cycle is that fifth vital sign. So if you gain or lose weight, it's going to be a stressor on the body a little bit. Um, but, you know, it happens naturally sometimes too. So we can't really control all of those things. If you change your diet in any way, um, even if it's like a healthy way, that could kind of stir things up too if you're adding in something or taking out something. So it's just interesting how sensitive our body is. But I just use it as data. I think it's cool data to see. And then hopefully it's not, again, consistent all the time so that it affects your charting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what are, this is from Grace M. Mills. She says, what are considered normal temperature ranges and how much of a fluctuation is normal? So when somebody is tracking their temperature, what, what kind of big, what jump would they see? I think is what she's kind of asking. Like what's a normal range of, of jumping for progesterone and and, yeah. Yeah. Talk me through that. I personally like to see people get above 98 degrees or at least hit 98 degrees for post ovulation. Cause I feel like that's a good sign of progesterone and then they stay elevated above 98 and then they drop before their period. In that first half of your cycle, the metabolic community will kind of say, I've seen like 97.4, like you want your temps to be around that like 97.4 mark and above as a sign of like a healthy metabolism. Um, If your temps are really low, like 96 range, then that's where your body is obviously like trying to conserve energy and slow down and could be a thyroid thing. And if your temps aren't really reaching like the high 97s and 98s post-ovulation, I would say that could be a sign of something. But also keep in mind, if you're using temp drop because it is taking that accurate temp, they tend to be lower. So like if it's a wearable thermometer, they tend to be a little bit lower. If you want a true like metabolic reading, you would have to do um, an oral temp. Okay. This is from Sam C. Farling. She says, varying cycle lengths after years of oral birth control. Is that normal or not normal? Yeah, it's so normal, unfortunately, that, you know, your brain and your, your 
your ovaries have to kind of relearn how to communicate again. If you've suppressed your hormones for a long time, those horm- your natural hormone levels need to get back up to whatever your baseline levels are. I would say too, like really look at nourishing your follicles. Again, like, are you eating enough? Are you eating consistently? Are you working out in a healthy way for your body? Um, Are you eating enough protein and healthy fats and like carbs for your body? So just looking at all of those things to kind of build hormones back up and get more consistent cycles. I have two really interesting questions. This one is from, and then we'll wrap up with these two. So this is from Dana Primo. She says, how do I talk to my OBGYN about the interest in choosing this method for birth control? Oh my goodness. Let me tell you, in my community, I have so many people that just are very disheartened when they leave. Somebody messaged me yesterday. They're like, hey, I'm in your area. This is the conversation I had. They weren't supportive. Who can I go to? Like, which provider can I go to? And here's what I will say. Um, OBGYNs aren't specifically taught how fertility awareness method works, which is kind of wild. They A lot of them think it's the rhythm method or the calendar method. And if you Google it, if you Google like efficacy rates of, nat- of fertility awareness method or natural family planning, it's the, Google will tell you way lower because they're actually saying the rhythm method or the calendar method. So just understand that they may not know that you're actually using the method correctly or that your intentions are to use the method correctly. And so they may discourage you and just kind of have that in the back of your mind. Like that's where they're coming from. They maybe are more educated around prescription birth control. And so you still can claim your power and say, thank you so much, but I'm not interested in that right now. I'm going to try this method. So know that it works. Trust in the science. There's a website, um, fertilityfacts.org, I think, and they have a lot of research on fertility awareness methods. So I think the more you learn and understand it, the more confident you will be to kind of stand up to your OBGYN, so to speak. Right, right. And doctors are just people with an opinion. You know, they they yeah. have an educated opinion, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're educated on the things that that you're asking about. They're not educated on everything. They're not they're not superhuman. So, right. You know, if they're obviously going to get a lot more education from pharmaceutical companies and birth control companies, and you know, I was pressured quite a bit to say, "Oh, you're getting married and um, you don't want kids." Okay, well, why aren't you on birth control? Like I had that conversation many times, and I was like, "No, thank you." Like, mm-hmm. you just, it's mm-hmm. just their personal opinion. You don't have yes. to go on or do anything that you don't want to do. So, it you know, you think I should be on birth control. I appreciate you sharing that with me. I don't agree. So it's not exactly. It, and, you know, your doctor is there to do a paid service for you, which is to keep you healthy and to, you know, maybe do pap smears and stuff like that. But you can absolutely find somebody who's more aligned with the way that you want to take care of your body. And if you don't, you can still get those services without taking birth control. Yes, exactly. I was so surprised. My midwife at my six-week appointment was like, oh, fertility awareness method. And I did tell her I was certified because I just wanted to like plug that. Like, I know what I'm doing. Um, But she was like, man, I wish more people were accepting of of others wanting to try that. And I was like, what? I was so... I was just very relieved. And I was like, you're great, midwife. Um, and I just, maybe the more women are coming into their appointments and just acting confident about it and also saying, I've been using this for years, the more the language will start to change. We all, we just kind of yes. have to be proactive. Yeah, I agree. I do think we'll see a shift, especially in the next five to 10 years. It's just exploding. It's becoming more normal. And the more that doctors see, and and honestly, the more, the younger the doctors get. So yeah, you know, we have new 
we have Gen Zers in medical school right now, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it just, it happens with the changeover of the times. We'll have younger doctors who will know a little bit more about it. And we'll, you know, that's why I love, personally, I do love nurse practitioners and I've uh, partnered with a lot of nurse practitioners for my healthcare because sometimes they are a little bit, they're not as busy. They're not as overwhelmed. They're also not running practices. They're working one-on-one with clients and they're out of medical school more recently. So sometimes they know, you know, some of the the more recent things. Um, yeah. Which it's not to doctors with experience have, you know, a lot of, there's so much benefit, right? To have you choosing doctors with experience too Absolutely. for different things. But um, I think we have to just take a look at it, look at it a little differently, which is these are people with experienced opinions and we it's okay for us to get multiple opinions or second opinions, which, and good doctors will agree. They'll tell you to get a second opinion. So. Agree. Absolutely. Okay, last question, which I love this one. She, This is from Josie Nicole H. She says, how do you plan to teach your daughter about this? And I think she was talking about me, but I know you have kids too. And she said, um, and then V Tread Barn says, tips for starting these conversations early with kiddos. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I My daughter is a year and a half and I'm like excited to teach her about it. I thought about this myself. Like, I just think it's going to be normal. Like when she starts her period. So my mom, she wasn't, she was very open. Like oh, I started my period. Like, let's talk about what to do. But she didn't know about the cycle and how it works. So I'm thinking, I'm just going to say, hey, this is what your body does around your cycle. And, um, I remember like I thought cervical mucus was super gross. Something was wrong with me. I didn't know what was going on. So it's like, just teach them that this is like a normal part of what happens. And then depending on, you know, your beliefs or your your daughter's beliefs and what's going on with sexual behavior, then you can have another conversation, right? And decide what's best for, for them and between you guys and whatever. But yeah, it's just having open conversations and teaching them this is what the body does and here's what we can do with it. Yeah, I like the idea of having putting it into conversation very casually. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it being more of a, oh, yeah, this is what my body's doing right now because I'm ovulating, or this right. is what my body is doing right now because I'm on my period. Like, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be this taboo talk it, topic. And I have a son as well. And I mean, it's it's always a balance. You have to really assess every kid is different, but you also have to kind of assess, can my kid handle this right now? So with my son, it might be a little bit of a different approach. I have talked to him about where he came from and, oh, like, I pushed you out of my body and this is yeah. where you came out of. And he's like, not there yet. Anyway, can I please my block? So like, <laughs> yeah. it's not registering, but I am trying to make it... Um, speak to them on their level, of course, but make it a normal part of conversation. Yeah. You know, my daughter right now thinks bl- like, oh, blood. Oh, like it's the worst, right? She gets a little cut. And it's like, I'm dying. Yeah. And so it might not be the appropriate time to be like, you're going to bleed a lot when you go on your period. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not going to like talk to her about that, but I am going to talk to her about, you know, your body does changes every single month. It's really cool. It's it's why women can have children and this yeah. is why and this is how that works. And and it's no, you're not, I'm not, I didn't carry you in my stomach. I carried you in my uterus. And the, you know, like just mm-hmm. kind of like, I guess, I guess kind of teaching appropriate language, like teaching appropriate anatomy. And I've I've heard a lot about um this kind of a little bit of a side tangent, but it's really important to teach kids proper anatomy. Um, just I've been for thinking their own about empowerment, that. but their own mm-hmm. safety, 
And so talking to, um, you know, I try to use the appropriate, it doesn't have to be like, here's where this is and here's where this is. Yes. We're going to call the the appropriate names when needed. And we're going to talk about what a uterus is, you know, like just naming those things so that that becomes a normal part of conversation so that when you get into the little bit, maybe, you know, they get older and you get into the, you know, a little bit more in-depth conversations, they're not like, what? Like completely overwhelmed and they feel willing to have those conversations. So, yeah. It's just part of the norm. I'm not there yet. The funniest thing is she'll point to my boobs and she'll be like, yeah. boob. <laughs> like, should we be? I mean, it is a boob. You're right. Or if I'm yes. going to the bathroom, she'll hand me toilet paper now and she'll like put yeah. it in that area. And I'm like, thank you. Or, yeah, 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 I'm just yeah, trying yeah. to sort of formulate like we don't even use those words yet because she's not in her vocabulary. Um, so it's interesting. I like that like stepping stone of like when it arises, you kind of meet them where they're at. And then when puberty hits, you meet them where they're at. And then when mm-hmm. other behaviors hit, you meet them where they're at. And it doesn't have to be like you mentioned taboo. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of teenagers feel shame about when they start their period and yes. not wanting to talk about it because it's been this thing, you know, it's been a shameful thing in our society. It's been this thing that we don't talk about and girls that feel embarrassed by it. And I get it. It is kind of embarrassing in the beginning because like seventh and eighth grade is already the worst. Like, let's be honest. I taught, I taught sixth, seventh and eighth grade. So I saw firsthand, (laughs) firsthand. Junior high is the worst, right? You are like weird and awkward and you're sweating more and you're just, it's just, it's altogether weird. And now all of a sudden you're bleeding and you leaked on your skirt. And so it is, it can be mortifying. I understand. Like I can relate. I don't, I don't want to be like, I'm, you know, as a parent, you don't want to be like out of touch, right? Yeah. I want to be the cool mom that like actually knows how to help her kid. And we're not. It's fine. I, I I'm probably will be out of touch by that point. But, you know, I want her to at least not feel so sh- so much shame about it and be OK with talking to me yeah. and talking maybe to her friends and, you know, going through the options with her like, here's a cup and here's, you know, here, here's, yes. here's a pad and here's how we can make this a little bit more sustainable. And you can wear these underwear that, you know, we can just wash like basic stuff like that. Yeah. Um, if you feel comfortable and you might not, you know, it's, it'll be a learning experience for both people. But yeah, if you feel comfortable, they'll start to feel more comfortable. And then that's how we change the narrative, right? right. We got to start with our young women and then and then hopefully it'll start to change. Thank you, Nina, for all of answering all these questions. We did, we did a deep dive. We went long, but I appreciate it because I think this is going to help so many women. So talk to me about I know you have a pretty awesome online program. Talk to me about that and what yeah. you're doing next. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I could talk about this forever. I love Fertility Awareness Method. Um, I do have an online program called Luna. So it's just a step-by-step course to teach you Fertility Awareness Method with a six-month membership to support you. I also have a free training, though. So if you're just kind of wanting to get to know the method, um, I have a free training, nursedwithina.com slash fam training, and you can learn about it. And then we can link my chart if you want. We can link yes. the paper chart somewhere. I'm happy to provide that. You're going to you're gonna make it a downloadable lead magnet. Yes. And you're going to give me a link and we'll put it there. So when you put your email in, she'll just email you the, the download. The... I got it set up. I just need to put it back. Yes. It, she was selling <laughs> it. It's yours for free. Yes. Okay? Thank you, Nina. Okay, thank you so much for being here. And I'm sure we'll have you back on because we've got we we didn't get to so a lot of our questions. But as I do feel like this is so great, it's so empowering. But the questions are going to continue, so I'm excited to have you back on. Yes, thank you so much. This has been a blast. Okay, for more from Nina, tell me your um your website link again. The best one for you, it's Nina Boys. Yeah, nourishedwithnina.com. Nourishedwithnina.com, and then I'm also on Instagram at nourishedwithnina. 
Okay, so nourishedwithnina.com. Definitely follow her on Instagram as well. We will link to everything in the show notes. For more from me, it's coconutsandcuttabelts.com. Thanks for being here, guys. We will talk to you next week.